to uh, take your Bible. I hope you brought one with you. If you did not, I encourage you to find one under a pew chair near you. We're going to look at the first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapters 1 and 2, particularly paying attention to chapter 2. This is obviously Father's Day. Uh, You will see that uh, in chapter 2 there are two passages. One looks like, why in the world are you using that passage uh, when it deals with motherhood? uh, And the other one specifically deals with being a father. If you would, just before we get started so you know where I'm going, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The Apostle Paul is speaking of himself and those that were ministering with him. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now notice, it's talking about a mother, except that it's talking about a bunch of grown men who are actually doing the ministry. And then if you would turn, please, to verse 11, it says, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This morning, as we think of Father's Day, we're going to draw a parallel. Why? Because the scripture itself does that. Because it's talking about ministry to a group in a specific location that is Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Anyway, the town that the Thessalonians are from, Thessalonica, I got it out this time. And it's also using as a parallel what a father would do, what a father should do with his own children. And so when you see that put together, you'll probably hear me say whether it's ministry or whether it's being a father, it doesn't matter. The principle is the same. But let's look at how this all came about. And if you would look in chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. The Apostle Paul said, I've ministered to you, and I continually keep you before the throne of grace. I continually pray for you, mentioning you in my prayers. In fact, is what does he actually mention? Verse 3, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Whether it's ministry or fatherhood itself, it is a work of faith, it's a labor of love, and it absolutely requires steadfastness in that expectation of what's going to have and be the end result. Continuing on in verse 5. He says, you know, at the end of verse 5, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. The Apostle Paul said, you can look back at our ministry. We do not have to shrink back. We do not have to be ashamed. We don't have to second guess what we did among you. Because we were open before you. What you saw is what you got. We didn't put on a false face. We didn't have a pretense. We weren't insincere. We ministered from our hearts. We showed you who we were. 
Fatherhood requires that same thing. And then verse 6 goes on, and this is a compliment to them. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. And we wear this out. We said, more is caught than taught. You need to be a good example whether it's a father, a mother, a parent of any uh, a mother or a father, or it's ministry. What you say is important. Absolutely, doctrine and right biblical teaching is very, very important. Exposition of the Scripture, very important. But if you don't live it out, if you talk the talk and don't walk the walk, you're sending a mixed message. In fact, is you come across as a hypocrite. That's exactly what you come across as. Why would I want to listen to somebody that says all the great things about God and doesn't apply them? Because to me, he doesn't believe them. Because if you believe something, you live it out. That's what walking the walk is. And he said, we did that. And you become imitators of us. Think about this, fathers. If you want to do your job, your children should be able to look at you, look at your life, and follow what you did. The attitude, the motives, and all of those types of things. And it doesn't matter if it's daughters or, fa- uh, or boys. It doesn't really matter. It says you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And this was all done in the midst of tribulation, hard times. Look at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He said, not only did you... Get what we told you. You followed what we showed you. And then you turned around and you became good examples to everyone that came in contact with you. Isn't that the goal of ministry? And I'm going to tell you that's the goal of fatherhood. You want your children not only to move on and live for the Lord the way you did, but hopefully even better yet. But the one thing you can expect is they're probably not going to live at a higher level than you lived before them. These people accepted the truths of the Word of God and passed them on to others. Verse 8, they also became evangelists because it says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. In other words, he wasn't saying, hey, we've got to prod you in the area of evangelism, outreach. No, you took what we showed you and taught you. You turned around and you passed it on to other people. Isn't that what we want? We want the next generation to be able, we want to teach them so the next generation can teach the next generation. That's what they're doing as believers in ministry and around them. We are to do that in our home life. And then verse 9 says this, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. This is the people they were evangelizing. These are the people they were an example to. They came back. So Paul is getting a second or third hand report about the Thessalonian Christians of what they actually did. The Thessalonian Christians were not bragging on themselves. And the Apostle Paul wasn't just bragging on his ministry. He said everybody that observed them could look back and say, Wow, they got it, they did it, and they practiced it. And they moved forward. And they lived a life of evangelism, but they also lived a 
godly life. Look at verse 9. It says, and this is the end of it, and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They had a 180 turn in their lives. They had been serving man-made dead idols. That's where they came from. And they turned around and they were now 100% the opposite direction, serving a living and true God. Their life was radically changed because of what the Apostle Paul did. And that's what we want as fathers in our children. We want to see them radically changed because I don't care what you think, this is what the reality is. Your child, that sweet little child, you know, you go, they're innocent. Well, they're innocent simply because they haven't made the decisions of life yet that we did. But the truth is, they were born with a sin nature. They were born separated from God. That's the truths of the Word of God. And we have a responsibility to see them changed. We can't make them change, but we need to be examples before them. We need to teach them the truth. We need to show a godly life in front of them so that they in turn can follow us, listen to us, and imitate us so they have a godly life, a good life. And then verse 10, and they wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They could see a good expectation that was coming to them. Why? Because they were waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. And they weren't waiting for him to come back to bring judgment. In fact, is they were waiting to for him to come back to deliver them from the judgment to come. If I read the Bible correctly, and I believe I do, because it's over and over uh, through the Bible, there is a time when God is going to judge the nations and the nation of Israel. And God says he's going to take us out before that. We're not waiting for wrath. Our wrath, if we've trusted Christ, was nailed to the cross. It was taken by Christ. And we do not need to suffer the wrath of God because it's already been paid for. Christ paid for it on the cross. Now, that's the background. That's not my sermon. That's just the background to get us to the sermon. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is always, when it talks about fatherhood and ministry, it's hands-on. There is no real fatherhood if it's hands-off. It's a hands-on ministry. Let's look at what it says. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. He says, you can look at your lives, you can look at the church, you can look at what's happened in your society and all around you, and you know that what we did changed lives. It wasn't vain, it wasn't empty, it wasn't for nothing. But you had completely changed, your attitude toward the world around you changed, uh, your motives in life and your goals in life completely changed. Everything changed. I don't have to tell you that, you already know that. Verse 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. I don't care if it's ministry. I don't care if it's fatherhood. There is opposition. Dads, it is tougher for you young dads today than it was ever for me raising my four kids. And you know what? It was easier for my dad than it was for me. 
I don't believe this world is getting a friendlier place toward the things of God. Anybody disagree with that? I don't think so. At least there was a time when our society had some fabric of godliness in it. There were people that backed up biblical-type truths of Christian Judeo-Christian ethic. We don't have that anymore. It's pretty much gone. It's mostly secular. And so you're on your own. It's opposition. If you believe being a dad is going to be a cakewalk, forget it. Don't have any kids because it's not a cakewalk. And it never has been, and it's going to get worse. By the way, I'm for having all the kids you want. Chris, you can have all the kids you want. You know, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, remember, you're going to have opposition, and it's going to come from all kinds of places. The world, the flesh, and the devil, it's all there, and it's not getting any better. They ministered to the people amidst much opposition. And then it says, for our exhortation, this is verse 3, does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. He said, when we ministered to you, when we came alongside of you, and that's what... um, exhortation means. We came alongside to help you. He says, when we did that, it was not from error. We told you the truth. Fathers, if you're going to do anything with your mouth, tell your kids the truth. They don't necessarily have to believe it. Sorry, Amy, but you'll make a good illustration this morning, okay? Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, okay. It's a good thing. Uh, It's a good thing because I was going to do it anyway. Sorry. Amy was about 13 years old. She thought we didn't like. She said, you don't like my friends. And I told her, I said, no, it's not. We didn't say we didn't like your friends. We said, you are like your friends. And then we had a conference in her bedroom. And I can remember saying, Amy, you do not have to understand what I'm telling you. You do not have to agree with what I'm telling you. You just have to do it. And when you have a 13-year-old daughter, you will begin to understand what we're talking about. Well, she said, she accuses us of cursing her. Is that the correct terminology? Yeah, Um, she knows what we're talking about now. But you know what? The point is this, is we need to tell the truth as fathers. I love my daughter. By the way, I even liked her friends because that's what I told her. I said, it's not we don't like your friends. We just don't like what any of, it's not that we don't like your friends. We like your friends. They're just like you. And we don't like what you're doing and the attitude you have. You need to tell the truth. I'm sure that I wasn't a popular guy that day in my house. I'm going to tell you that right now, and I know that. And then it says, or from impurity. If you're not living a moral life, why in the world would you think your kids are going to live a moral life? You could put ethics in there. You could put anything else in there you want. If you do not live before them, uh, and the Apostle Paul said, we didn't do it. In that way. And he said, we also didn't come by deceit. Wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. They were real in front of them. Again, the example, the imitation that they could do simply because they were straightforward in their ministry. Dad, I'm going to tell you, you need a backbone. And I used to work construction. I don't know if you know what rebar is, but it's the this, this stuff that you put in concrete. And it makes the, when you put the concrete and the rebar together, it makes both of them stronger. You need a backbone about the size of a three-quarter inch rebar. 
You know what? I'm going to tell you, I can't bend one of those by myself. They can be bent, but I can't bend it on my own. That's the kind of backbone you need in the world that we live in. To be able to, to take a stand and not cave in. And you know it. It never worked. My kids would say, but the other people's kids, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, the other kids' parents let them do that. And we found out, Paula, we found out that you didn't let your kid do that either. We found that out. You know, sorry I'm using names here today, but it's pretty personal when you get to this kind of stuff. You know, that's the way it is. And you need to have a backbone, a backbone of steel, a moral backbone, an ethical backbone that absolutely says, no, we know the truth and we're not going to mince words about the whole thing. It's not being nasty because you're going to hear what's coming up next. Um, But verse 4 says, but just as... We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Again, whether you're a father or you're ministering to people, it is not about you, and it's not so much even about that person. It's always and forever about God. Whether anybody ever listens to you or does what you say or follows your example, it's always about, did I please God? That's always what it comes down to. If you judge it by any other means, you're going to flounder all over the place because you'll have people agree with you and disagree with you and people say, who cares or why should we care? It doesn't matter. It's always, what does God say? What does God want me to do? That's always. Not pleasing men, but God. That's the bottom line. Why? Because God not only looks at the results and what we actually do, but he looks and examines our hearts. That's our innermost being. He judges us from who we really are. Verse 5, we never came with flattering speech. That is some kind of insincere speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We didn't do this for us, not for our advantage, not for a feather in our cap. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we may have asserted our authority. In other words, he's simply saying, we never did this for our own advantage, for our own good. That was never it at all. We didn't look for anyone else to pat us on the back. We did what we knew to be true before God simply because it was true and we were charged with doing it. Dads, that's a a backbone of steel. And then it's curious because remember, these are all grown men and then they make this statement. Look at verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I thought when you're a man, when you're a dad, it's your buck stops here and you're just hard-nosed and you're just, you know, lay down the law. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Ask my kids, they'll tell you. On the other hand, if that's all I ever do, I'm just a tyrant. I'm just a dictator. I'm just somebody that can yell louder than they can. That's not what God tells us to do. He says... In their ministry, they were like a nursing mother. Now, i got to tell you, I've watched my wife nurse four kids, and I've seen other people, and uh, I've... (laughs) Sorry, Amy, you seem to get blasted here. I've walked in my own house just not long ago, and I see my daughter quick covering up, and I'm like, okay, 
little awkward here. Turn around, walk back out of the room. You know, uh, you know. In fact, is our first pediatrician. I had to take, I guess it was Missy, to the doctor one day, and he was over at the med center. I always called him the wild professor. But I'm walking down the hall taking one of my kids to the pediatrician, and his wife is walking down the hall. This is the doctor's wife. Walking down the hall, nursing your kid in the, in the middle of the med center. A little awkward in that way, too. But you know what? There's a bond. And that, I'm only telling you those simply for this, because Put it this way, I'm not offended by that at all. It's just a little awkward when you're a guy, okay? So you understand what I'm saying. But listen, when you're nursing, think about it this way. It's priority. If your child needs nurse, there is no other alternative. It doesn't matter where it is. You're on a plane ride, you're in a taxi, whatever it is, you need to nurse your kid or you got a problem. So it's a priority. I've never seen a mother nursing a child when they were ranting, raving, jumping up and down, cursing and swearing. It just doesn't seem to work. There has to be a calmness that goes with it. It's also, it meets a need. Nobody else is going to meet that need. You're there. You need to meet the need. It's a personal sacrifice. It Take your time. You, you can't pawn it off on somebody else. You've got it. So when it says gentle, kind as a nursing mother, it's very personal. And that's the last part. There's an emotional attachment. And I believe that I've seen studies, and obviously mothers and children have a, a close bond. But he's saying, hey, in ministry, and even if you're a guy in ministry, there needs to be a close, personal, emotional bond. You could be, and I don't claim to be this, you could be a really great speaker, but if you don't interact with the people you're ministering to, your ministry is very limited. But if you interact with them, you have an emotional attachment with them. It goes much deeper as a nursing mother nurses their child. I can also tell you that there have been a few times where I was, let's just say, not as sensitive as I could have been as a father. My son went to uh, spend a night with um, one of his friends. And in the middle of the night, we think he was sleepwalking. But anyway, he was in a strange house and he needed to go to the bathroom. And he lands up falling down a flight of stairs. So the next day, they call us and say, you know, it's time to come pick him up. And he's like, hey, Dad, my arm hurts. And, I, you know, I'm not sure. And they're like, maybe he broke it. And I'm like, ah, get over it. You'll be fine. A couple of days later, I took him to the doctor. I have never lived that one down yet. It's like, yeah, I had a broken arm. Dad wouldn't even take me to the hospital. I eventually did. They didn't put it, even put it in a cast. But nonetheless, I, I won't tell you I was Mr. Sensitive. But this says, hey, you know what? There needs to be that kind of thing. Now, look, and I need, to, I need to ramp this up. But look at verse 8. If you want to know if I'm right about that, thus having a fond affection for you, Referring to those they were ministering to. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Talk about a a nursing mother. They're imparting their own life into that child. And then it goes on to say, because you had become very dear to us. Fathers, if you just think you're the buck stop here, here and you're the disciplinarian, you don't have the whole picture. It's bigger than that. It's broader than that. And it's way, way deeper than that. It has to be both. 
I always had a uh, saying, and I don't believe I violated this. At least I don't remember violating. But I said, I won't discipline my kids unless I haven't played with them. I can never remember not disciplining my kids because I hadn't played with them. I can remember when they were little, uh, we would play Legos, we would do other things. And uh, my wife doesn't know all the details of this because she's never to know them. But she would go with Janet Rysick, some of you know Janet. They would go out on a Friday night and she started giving me instructions. And I'm like, Faye, when you're here, it's your house, you instruct, you, we do it your way. When you leave, it's up to me. Now, you've got to understand, I'm a dad, I'm a big kid. We would turn the coffee table into sliding board. We had a couple of sets of boxing gloves. We had boxing matches. We had pillow fights. The evidence was one night Faye came home and a pillow was in pieces. One other night, she came home and we, we were playing tag, I think, in the, in, in the bedroom. And one of our kids, was it you, Amy? It was John. He, when she came home, and I am not joking, there was a goose egg on his head that size. She goes, what did you do? Like, hey, the kid is fine, nothing wrong. You know, we, we just had a good time. You know what? We did those things. We, we rode bike together. We had go-karts together. And later on, we played basketball five nights a week in the driveway. And the whole neighborhood came over. You know what? The truth of the matter is, I don't have to look back and say, did I spend time? Could I be an example? Was I an illustration? The fact is, a few times the basketball games would get rough, and my wife would say, you have to tell those kids to go home. They're too rough. And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach my children how to deal with that. The fact is, it got to the point where a newcomer would come in, and he'd use a swear word. All the other kids, not just my kids, would say, uh, you can't talk like that here. You know, you can't do that at this place. You know what? I didn't even have to do it because I believe, and I was playing with them, not just there. Uh, I never did get good at basketball, but it was fun. The point is, we need to impart our very lives into our children. We need to impart our very lives into those we minister to. But continuing on, verse 10. And you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Notice, if you're going to have any kind of authority, any kind of a ministry, it says you need to be devout, holy. You need to be upright. That's having a right standard, and you need to be a Teflon Christian. You will get blamed for all kinds of things. But blameless, my definition, is Teflon. You can throw anything against it. You can try to get anything to stick, but it won't stick. They can say anything about you you want, but just make sure it doesn't stick because that's a Teflon Christian. That's blameless. doesn't mean you don't get accused. Then it says in verse 11, Just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and employing each of you as a father would his own children. That's the crux of this sermon. Three words linked together inseparably. Two of them. One simply means to come alongside to help, to comfort, to, to exhort. The other means to come alongside or come near to give good information, to give words of encouragement. And the fourth one, imploring, is the word martyr, a witness. Guess what? We're back to example again, guys. We're back to example. Don't tell me what to do, show me what to do. That's what we need to do. 
It's more than, by the way, you need to say it. There's no, nothing wrong with saying it. But if your life doesn't back it up, again, you're a hypocrite. It's just the way it is. So if you're going to be having a personal relationship and calm and personal sacrifice and emotional uh, impact and, and interaction, guess what? It's going to require you to talk to them. But it's not simply, I'm the hammer. I'm the final authority. There's a place for that. But that's not the whole picture. Because a father who is training his children, teaching his children, is going to have all of those things. The kindness and gentleness, as well as the words that you don't back down. It's going to be the information they need at the right time. When Missy was at Word of Life, uh, something happened. And if you've ever seen my 15 no exceptions premarital rules, that's where it came from. She wrote home, or she called home and said, I'm having these problems. And I sat down in my office and I typed out 13. I've added two more since that and said, here it is. I send it back up to Word of Life. And by the time it was over, it was photocopied and sent all over Word of Life. Because you know what? There was something that needed dad's input. And I think it helped her. I don't know. She married John. I guess everything worked out okay. But you know what? That's not the, he was not the problem child, by the way. Uh, that was somebody else. And I remember our, our other son, our, our, our other son, our youngest son, I'm sorry. Uh, he had a problem with responsibility. And I had something that I've used ever since. I'd say to him, what is responsibility? And it got to the point he could repeat it off word perfect. What is responsibility? You do what you know to do without being told. That's number one. That's a response. By the way, that's not only for children. That's adults. If you know what to do, you simply do it. That's a responsible person. Anybody disagree? The second is, if you don't know what to do, ask questions. Because you're going to go off and do something that's wrong unless you ask the question. And the third one is you do what you're told when you're told with a right heart attitude. You know what? I didn't sit down to these things and say, I want to be a spiritual dad. They were simply reactions to what was happening in my children's lives where I needed to sit down and think it through for myself so I could actually help them. Unfortunately, I didn't do a lot of those things myself, but I, I determined I'm going to be a dad. That, and my dad didn't do a bad job. I'm just saying, I determined I want to be a better dad than my dad. And I hope my kids say the same kind of thing because the world is always eroding these things away. But notice what it says in verse 12, and I'm going to close with that because I'm out of time. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Dads, you want to be the kind of person who can walk worthy. There's that absolute place for kind and gentle. There's that place for words. That's, there's that place to say, hey, look, I'm the dad and you're the kid and it's not going to go any further than this. It's over. I've spoken. It's done. You know, there is a place, not the first time, there's a place to say, look, because I said so, there is actually a place for that. But it's at the long end of this because they just won't understand until they have one their age or their age themselves. But God wants us in every way to 
Be examples to our children. Exhorting, encouraging, comforting, imploring, being kind. All of those things. We're not talking about being feminine or effeminate. We're talking about looking at the principle of a nursing mother and saying, hey, there are principles that go with that that I need to carry out. And then there are also the principles of a father who says, hey, the buck stops with me. I'm telling you the truth. You know what? Guys, just like it says of the women to go home and ask their husbands if they have questions, guess what? If that's true of your wife, it's also true that you ought to be the one that's in the Word of God for yourself so that when your children have questions or their friends give them some goofed-up idea that's just totally off base, that you can give them a good, solid, biblical answer to what they need to hear. They may not understand it at that point, but the truth is they need to hear it. That's what a father does. That's how a father raises his children. That's how a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or I don't care where you are ministering. Those are the principles. If you want to know how to, how to be a spiritual leader, this chapter will get you about as far as any other single chapter. There's more in the Bible than this. But that chapter really gets down to the nitty-gritty. It's like, yeah, buck stops here. Kindness. And all of it put together with a personal, emotional, life-altering example and life inputting into that person's life. It's more than just ministry. It's your life. We gave of our very selves to this ministry, to my children. That's what I need to do. Is it hard work? It's absolutely impossible. You need to have God's strength to do it. Is it long and hard? The answer is yes. And even if they get married, Bob Webb says they get married, but they never go away. And uh, you've all heard me say this, and I'll finish with this. If my kids call home, and I I believe I can praise the Lord that I call my in-laws kids too. If they call and they ask for a mom, it's something rather mundane, or it's about kids, or it's about cooking, or something like that. If they call and ask for dad, it's about the car, it's about the house, or it's some really, really, really big problem. You know what? And I'm telling you, it is almost exactly like that. There's very few exceptions to that. But that's so neat to know that after they put up with me for 18, 20 years, and they actually call back and now value my opinion when before they could have cared less. You know what? That's what you're looking for. The end result. Not what's happening today, but what is going to happen in the long run. That's what we want. I'm just so glad that my kids feel free to call and talk to me. But I'm also so glad I'm no longer responsible for them. You know, because I can tell them, here's what I, here's what I believe, here's what the Bible says, and you know what, here's, here's some advice, some examples, or something to help you. But you know what, I don't have to be responsible for what they do with it. There was a time when that was different, but not anymore. I just think that's so neat. I want to encourage you fathers Read this chapter over and over again. See where it takes you. Because I believe there's a lot more there than I could say in a half an hour. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, I do pray for 
each of us as we look at the principles of leadership and ministry, and especially for fathers as we look at our role, whether it's young children uh, being molded or whether it's adult children who we still continue to have this kind of relationship with. Lord, I pray that you would help us in that direction. Help us to put these principles into practice. And Lord, one more time, we do pray for the group that is up at uh, Rural Grove Christian Church, uh, having fellowship with Josh Federhoff's church uh, there. And as they travel home, I pray that you would give them safety. Thank you for the safety you gave them on the way up. And I pray that also that you would give them no breakdowns on the way home. And uh, that's our request. Lord, they're in your hands, and we thank you that you will take care of them because you love them and care about them more than we ever could. Lord, thank you for this time, for your blessings, and we thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go with God.